Welcome to Shekinah International Podcast. Our ministry reflects the five-fold ministry model Apostle Paul mentions in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. Our podcast features leaders from multiple churches who are passionate about equipping Christians just like you to walk in purity and power, fulfilling your God-given purpose. God wants to do great exploits through you, so enjoy today's podcast. Thank you. Well, that was awesome. Wow. She's done this before. Praise God. So I want to thank you so much. Uh, She did tell you a little bit about me. So what I want to do is, uh, and I love doing this to help everybody learn about each other real quick. And uh, everybody has to do this. It's kind of one of my favorite things to do. Turn to the person next to you and, and give him your name and say, God thinks you're awesome, but I'm his favorite. Now, it's true, you are his favorite. Praise God for that. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I have several things I want to do here. Um, And uh, let me just, I'll I'll give you another one. Uh, I love saying humor is awesome because it does help heal the heart. So uh, there's a story about a pastor, there's a preacher, and this is just to help you learn what to do, okay? (laughs) So there was a preacher that was making his weekly rounds to people's homes, going to the different homes, and saying hello. So he was wanted to convert them and invite them to his, to his church. So what he did was, he went to one house one afternoon and knocked on the door, but he heard something inside, but nobody answered. So he knocked on the door again, but still nobody answered, but he knew somebody was there. So he took his card and he wrote on his business card, Revelations 3.20, and put it in the door, and then he left. And then so what happened was, when he went to church, uh, when he was at church, about three weeks later, an usher came up to him and gave him back his card, and underneath, uh, on top of his Revelation 3.20, somebody wrote Genesis 3.10. And so he read it, and, and so Revelations 3.20 says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him, and he with me. Genesis 3.10 says, I heard you in the garden. I did not answer, for I was naked. <laughs> so that's what you want to use if you, if you can't answer the door, that's what you say. So uh, just a little housekeeping. So in the foyer, there's a uh, Obviously, a lot of my material that I've had, and there's, this is on the on there, and you can um, just take this. It's got information about each of the books, so I want to share real quickly. Uh, so about t- a 19, um, in, ni- in the 90s, anyway. Um, so I've been working at um, in mental health or in um, healthcare for 42 years. Now, I started when I was two, so it's <laughs> so I'm pretty young. <laughs> Forgive me, Lord, I have sinned. So, 
still in the garden, yeah. I was in, I was in the garden. Okay, so, um, so in the 90s, God would send to me a lot of people, and men particularly, that didn't express themselves, they didn't know how to express themselves, and there's, we have a lot of this, and I, and I was part of that circle. And so we grew up in a home where we didn't have, know how to express ourselves. And uh, we didn't know why we can't feel. Men and women are that way. Uh, mostly, w- mostly men, though, because um, when men and women, when uh, there's so much information I want to give you, but this is kind of interesting, so it's really cool. So when we're g- conceived, men, and, uh, boys and girls, we have the same brain. So um, and, and, and how information goes in and processes it. At the seventh week in, t- in, in utero, testosterone washes over the male brain and it damages the cord between the right and left hemisphere and damages it so much so that when information comes in the left side, which is the logic side, it does not cross over to the right side, which is the emotion side. It doesn't cross over very well. So men, I'm sorry to say, we're brain damaged, first of all. <laughs> and secondly, but that's not an excuse, okay, because we can still work at it. So, and then it happens again uh, in birth, and then it happens again at 12. Uh, testosterone, but the point is that um, it makes it more difficult. So why? So how do we work through that? So God, I worked with a lot of techniques and a lot of people, a lot of men, but and so gave me this book when feelings don't come easy. So that was my first book that came out in the, in, the, in 2001, and then from that time, um, then God has a sense of humor. So. So you want to move in where God has you and just start moving. If there's something that you like to do, something that God's calling you, start moving in that direction. God's going to give you more. All right? He will. And so, see, he also has a sense of humor. So as I started working with people that didn't express themselves, God sent me the spouses that lived with the people that didn't express themselves. So then that's what this book is, When Your Mate is Emotionally Unavailable. And... Um, now this book came out, and the um, what happened because, especially your spouse, we think if I can only change that person, or if I can only change my my boss or my spouse or this person or that person. And the truth of it is, you can't change anybody. However, uh, directly, but you can change them indirectly. So what happens is, it's like in a home situation, a spouse. If they're, if they're a certain way or you married them and then you realize what you married, you can't change that person, you think. But what you do is you got to recognize, if I change myself, I change the atmosphere and they have to change because the atmosphere is different. You are an atmosphere changer. And that's what this book is, all right? And then uh, God has sends me, I'd, I'd say about 80%, if not maybe 90 percent of people that I see has an issue about how they feel about themselves. And so g- this is a, um, like a more of a devotional, sense like a devotional is uh, declaring your worth. And thanks. So this book is, um, it's got 16 chapters and each chapter is uh, a small, but two or th- it's about three to four pages each. And it's all about how I feel and how to get out of it, for example, and who you really are in Christ. Uh, I am loved, I am accepted, uh, I can love others, I am worthy, I am blameless, wonderfully made, forgiven, victorious, 
free, significant, confident, purposeful, attractive, mind of Christ, hopeful, goes on and on. Anyway, so I s these are all stories of people that I saw that didn't have that testimonies. Well, just stories, the fact that they were in my, they're somewhere in my life, typically in my office or somewhere. And like, because I, I talk to people all over the world, and so they've got this issue. And then this tells you about what we did to release, to reverse that. And then it's a miracle story about what happened. Each one has a miracle story. And then the last page is one page of the declaration. So I did a lot of research. So I am accepted, for example. I, I wrote down all the scriptures that talks about that you are accepted. And then you would, you would read that over yourself, first person, to yourself, about yourself. You're declaring that I am accepted. And that's what this is. And a lot of people then get this revelation that they are now accepted because they're declaring it over themselves. And that's what this is. All right, so, and then in, um, uh, I don't know where I was, uh, say maybe five or six years ago, I was in Bath, England with Randy Clark. Anybody know who Randy Clark is? Okay, he, all right, so he is, uh, works with Global Awakening as the president and founder of that in Pennsylvania. He's a, an amazing man of God, evangelist, healer. So we were in Bath, England, uh, on the way to the Heathrow to go back to, go back to, to the States here. And uh, we were talking about how we love seeing people healed, but the most difficult was the, the ones we remembered the most were the ones that didn't get healed. And I said to him, Randy, uh, I agree that it's difficult to see it. It's very disappointing. But the difference is I typically will bet to see those people the next day in my office or sometime soon, and then I find out, let's explore what else there is. Why is that? So he said, oh, that's interesting. He said, let's write a book about it. So it took me two seconds to decide that one. So, so this book is Finding Victory When Healing Doesn't Happen. So it talks about why the larger issue about unforgiveness and sins and uh, um, spiritual warfare and so on, th this. And then after this one, I realized that, and this is, so what I realized is an emotional soul issue, which is this is the sequel to this, okay? This is written with Randy Clark, and then he wrote the forward to this one. So I'm gonna be talking primarily about this, and this will be secondary. But I recommend if you really wanna dive into this, get both of these, but if you can only get one, get this one. So both of them have this, but this has a little bit more. In the back of the book, okay, so there is a, uh, this is what we're gonna be talking about today. There's a, s a spiritual connection and a soul connection, why we don't get healed. You're just gonna learn that, because it does not make sense why we're not. It just doesn't. Okay, because it's not about sense, it's about nonsense, it's an emotional issue. So in the back of this book, I have about 100, and there's 450 medical and um, physical diagnosis, physical, emotional diagnoses, and the emotional connection to that, why that isn't healed. So people, I have people, uh, when they have an issue, I say, I'll open my book, or typically, some people have this on their cell phones, because you can get, this is an audio and Kindle. So they'll look it up and say, well, do you, and then they'll look up the emotional connection to this. Yeah, you have that, that, that. You work through the emotion, and then the healing happens. Because the emotion locks in the physical. Anyway, we're going to talk about that. So this is out there. And then I also have some CDs uh, from places that I've worked. And this is also, this is uh, Finding Barriers to Your Healing, which is, 
a small version of what I'm going to talk about today, and then this one is improving your emotional health. It's a lot about um, anxiety, depression, uh, ADD, and some other things. So, and and we're going to get and and then this, these are two are also on um, uh, uh, USB out there too. So, I'm finding more and more that CDs are are less and less common, right? So, all right. So the cool thing is. Uh, we're going to learn a lot. And by the way, there is also a sign-up sheet out there uh, that you can just put your name on. If you haven't already, like, got an email from me or if you'd like to, this is just, I don't sell vacuum cleaners, so you won't get that. So if you want to know where I'm going to be next or if I'm in the area or something else, I have a, something that comes out, I will email you know about it. So that's there, too. Okay, so let me tell you about what we're going to do today. Um, so let me get this. See. Oh, cool, it works. I go to so many places and they don't work. So uh, this place is so set up for speaking. I'll tell you, like a nice wide podium, got a screen right in front of me so I can see what's going on. You know, nice microphone. So awesome. So she's done this before. So uh, what we're going to do is I'm going to, the first half of this is talking about why healing doesn't happen. And the second half this afternoon, we'll, uh, we'll be done before five because that'll be more time for, some demonstration and actually healing time, all right? Uh, and also, if you have a question, just raise your hand. Our bathrooms are over there, right? So, so, but if you have a question about something, you can raise your hand so we can all learn together. And I will give some testimonies. So let's just open up. I'm going to pray. Let's just pray together. I'm going to read Ephesians 1, 18 and 19. We're going to pray that over you. I pray in the name of Jesus that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory, of the inheritance that you have within you, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards you who believe. In Jesus' name, amen. So, okay, so one thing I want to help you understand is I'm going to be giving testimonies and talking about information about us about your health, all right? So what I want you to do is, from now on, recognize that a testimony and information about your physical, emotional, spiritual being are an open door for your healing. So if there's something that all of a sudden resonates you, or you know somebody that has this, we're like, wow, take that and say, I re just say in your spirit, I received that. Uh, so I can give you I can give you um, many testimonies in when I'm speaking. A person did the t especially in the a in the second half of this when you're actually going to learn. We're actually practically going to learn this, and you're going to be doing it with each other to help. And the cool thing is, what I'm going to teach you, uh, you can just add to what you already know. It's not something that's totally revolutionary. You'll find out that it's something very normal and common. All you just need to do is do more of it, of what God already has, okay? So when you hear it, take it. By the way, um, in Greek, so when we pray for something, let me just add this. God just gave this to me. So when we pray, we want to receive something, right? We always want to receive. Well, just to let you know, in Greek, the word receive means take it take it. So when you want to receive something, take it because it's already yours. I receive that. I take that. 
right? And people then will tell me afterwards that that they received the healing because they recognize that's for them too. So praise God. All right, so let's move on. Let's yes, ah, it worked. All right, so can everybody see what's going on? All right, awesome. So what does Scripture say about healing? So we need to when we receive, see, see we need to recognize that that the Bible already says that in uh, in John three sixteen. Uh, that we receive, that there's basically two reasons for healing. One is John 3.16, that he received because he died for our salvation. And the other one is Matthew 8.17, where he died for our infirmities and our diseases. And that was not so much talked about, but that's truly what he died for. So it's already ours. So when when he cried on the cross, it is finished, people don't realize it wasn't it's finished that he's dying. He meant that what I've done, I'm done doing what I need to do. That's what I finished is. So I, now, now it's time to move to do what you need to do. So, so when you accept Jesus, we have to get a handle on the fact that when we accept Jesus, we have 1 Corinthians 3.16. That means the Spirit dwells within you. You already have it. And then John 1.16, that you have his fullness. Acts 1.8, that you have his power and authority. So, I so for now on the premise that I want you to go by is that Jesus can heal it does heal anytime anywhere anybody all right so if that's true and if you've already accepted then here's what we need to talk about then why aren't we healed now um, I'm not going to talk so much about just general healing because you can get that anywhere the the Internet is full of that, and there's all kinds of ministries. So I don't want to replace what you already are learning. I don't want to replace things that you've learned. And there's people here that I know that are already trained in healing ministries, which is fine. So, so don't don't stop it. I just I want to deal with it. And what God's given me primarily is, what if we don't get healed? What do you do when we don't get? Healed? What's the next step? And so what I'll be teaching you is just what to do in addition to what you're already doing. All right. So when we are not healed, there's like a downward spiral. Like it causes this sense of doubt. And we question ourselves. We question God's love. And we wonder if we're even deserving. But the truth is, God loves us. And we know that intellectually. God loves us. He loves you. We're worthy to receive his healing. God wants us to be healed. But why doesn't it happen? So we need to find out and have a better understanding really what blocks it. All right, and that's what we're going to do. Any questions so far? That's pretty straightforward. All right, so here's what we've got to learn. I want you to pretend that what you're looking at is a, like, a, like a pipe. And this is a flow pipe, all right? And it's a flow of healing. So what happens is we've got these three areas, the spirit, soul, and body. So if we start with the spirit, that's where God dwells. So when we accept Jesus into a heart, you notice that that water in that flow is healthier, it's, it's cleaner, because that's where Jesus dwells. So John 7, 38 says that he who believes in me from this innermost, from innermost being will flow living water. So we all know that the living waters is there. And so Galatians 5.16 says if we walk by the Spirit and not carry out, we won't carry out the desires, desires of our flesh, the Spirit is to be healthy and wellness, to, to be well and not 
unhealthy, right? That's because that's where Jesus, that's where God dwells. So, but, but Galatians 5, then this, the, the fruit of that, the fruit of the fact that, that God dwells in the spirit is Galatians 5, 22. Uh, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. Okay, so that's the fruit. So if God's not there, and granted, God could, is going to still be inside of you, but I still have things going on. I may be a habit or so on. But that's where the soul comes in. The soul is an issue where the negative emotions, thoughts, actions, beliefs will settle. It's unhealthiness. You can have healthy and unhealthy, but primarily the unhealthiness settles there in the soul. That's where the mind, will, and emotions. So the, the interesting that uh, that's where Galatians 5.19 is the deeds of the flesh, immorality, impurity, idolatry, strife, jealousy. You cannot inherit the kingdom because the spirit is not a part of that. So we can actually, but you see, when we pray, when we pray, we actually pray in the spirit, and that valve at the top between the spirit and the soul is opened. And when we open that up, then the, the prayer goes through the soul to get to the body. But what if there's unhealthiness in the soul? that will block it from getting through, whatever that is, and what I just said. So soul hurts and trauma is very, very common. 98% of mental, physical, and behavioral issues are, are in our thought life, from our thought life. Stress is a factor in 75% of all illnesses and diseases, and up to 90% of all doctor's visits are stress-related. So the body then, when we're sick, see the body then and the soul connect so much because when we're sick in the soul, then we can't get well in the body. And it doesn't flow through. So the body, when we're sick, we primarily, we see and feel that sickness as our measuring stick. So traditionally, traditional medicine, allopathic medicine traditionally, the media, it's all symptom focused. So what, what we see and feel for our results, that becomes a measuring stick, and we can't get out of that because of what we're seeing. And so, but that distorts God's reality, or as he says what we need to do, because we're supposed to walk by faith, not by sight. First, that's 2 Corinthians 5, 7. So the problem is, so wh when I pray for something, we're supposed to believe that I'm healed, but if I have a lot of un a lot of thoughts that I'm not, why would I be? It's all part of what's in my thoughts as well as what's already in my body. All right, so this is just the foundation what we're going to be doing. So John 20, 29 says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet come to believe. So 1 Corinthians 2, 14 is about the seen world does not understand the kingdom. So when we are in the seen world, so if I'm filled with unhealthiness, thoughts and beliefs and discouragement, then my measuring stick's gonna be out of what I'm seeing or feeling and that's gonna be more difficult. But there's a reason for that. We'll be talking about that. So 2 Corinthians 3.18 says the kingdom view of life is that we're believing the unseen to be the truth. 
So let me move on. Any questions about that? All right. So let me move on about how we accumulate soul trauma. Why does that happen? Why do we have that trauma there? So I'm going to tell you about it. Now, trauma start is, in ver- is in many, many forms, but, but trauma can start. Now, trauma, I'm going to equate trauma with just woundedness, hurts, um, abuses, just neglect, just things that happen in our life, all right? So it can start in utero. So think about this. Now, the most common is this. If you, in utero, uh, we're in a very protected environment. However, if my mom is anxious, you're going to be anxious. If your mom is depressed, you're going to be depressed. And the reason for that is you don't have to be, and I'm not declaring that over you. I'm just saying that if your mom has a dr- um, is anxious, what happens is her adrenal gland, which is just above the kidneys, will produce adrenaline. And that adrenaline will then be mass-produced and then wash over the mom and wash over the baby. And so the baby becomes anxious because mom is. And then when baby baby is anxious, the baby tries to produce adrenaline in their from their adrenal gland, but because it's so small, it exhausts the adrenal gland pretty quickly. And then you're born with an exhausted adrenal gland, which produces ADD, type A personality, anxiety disorders, and the list goes on. Because I'm constantly still, and then I... So that's the first reason for that. The second reason is if I'm if my mom's anxious, she's probably going to raise you as an anxious person, or if she's depressed, or if dad is. Dad, by the way, is just as just as influential as the mom is, and the reason is because <coughs> inside of the womb, I will receive the chemicals, I will receive the nervousness, I will hear. By the sixth month, we're a seeing, hearing, feeling, sensing child. I can actually see the light outside the womb. I can hear mom and dad. Uh, There's theories. um, If you like this sort of thing, I would definitely recommend, and I recommend you for sure, get the book. It's called, uh, it's by Thomas Varney. It's V-E-R-N-E-Y. Thomas Varney. It's called The Secret Life of an Unborn Child. The Secret Life of an Unborn Child. And in that book, he says all kinds. He says um, one of the one of the reasons for is if the child doesn't want to go, they reverse and they go breach because they don't want to go. Uh, also, you can whatever happens outside the utero by a certain time in pregnancy, you will sense it inside. There's a story about a man that um, he was 30 years old. True story. So it's in the book, and he was playing. He loves music just loves music and he plays uh, piano by ear, you know, because he's ever in musical. And he was playing a concerto, I don't know which one, but a classical piece. And then uh, his mom came into his house. He said, wow, that is so good. He says, where'd you learn that? He says, I don't know, I don't, because he had no music. He was just playing it. And she thought for a moment as he was playing, he says, that's the concerto that I played all the time when I was pregnant with you. So there's constant, so anyway, my point is it's very influential time. So, and also in childhood. Now, so, but so 
what happens to the chemical, what I, in, in utero, what I feel, see, sense, that becomes an imprint which creates the disposition to not only how I feel and think, but also to my healing. Because if my, whatever my mom thinks, I will think. And then when we go into childhood, the childhood, whatever happens in the external world, whatever happens in my external world as a child creates my internal belief of reality. Do you understand that? So if my mom and dad are yelling, then the world is scary, and when people raise their voice, it makes me scared. So first of all, an event happens, I become afraid, which is the emotional trauma. My belief is that when people raise their voice, I, you're supposed to get afraid. I put away the event, so I live off of the fear and the belief. That's what I deal with in my office, and this is what everybody has in some form or fashion. So what happens is if we keep this, the longer we keep this, then Satan comes around and makes that worse. All right? Now, one thing you're going to learn today, what the church generally does, the church goes through the front door, the spiritual door, and gets rid of Satan, like spiritual warfare, which is fine, you, that's fine. And you get rid of, you're going to feel better, but if you don't get rid of the reason why he came in, by the way, Satan can't touch you if you're a born-again Christian. So you have to have a door opener. All right? So the door opener is the trauma. So it comes in, if you, and you're going to feel better when you get rid of whatever, whoever Satan is there, if he's there. But, but if they don't get rid of the reason why he came in the first place, he'll come back seven times worse. So what you're going to learn is, I don't do spiritual warfare. I mean, I can do spiritual warfare, but I don't need to. Because I go through the back door. Let's find out where the trauma started. Let's get rid of the emotion. Then the belief goes, and Satan just has to leave anyway because there's no reason to be there. Right? <laughs> so, all right, he wants to say it again. All right. So, um, the, all right, so I don't want to get too much. This is a kind of an expanded version. This is also in my, I wonder if this is in my, I think it's in my book. Right, one of the two books, all right. So you have um, an event and then you have a trauma. You're gonna have a physical, emotional, I mean, you can have, if there's abuse involved, neglect, somebody yelling, whatever, that's the, that's the event, and then I'm gonna feel it. It's always the feeling. And then, so one thing you gotta realize that, um, you, what I'm gonna teach you a little later is that, or you're gonna learn, is that when you have a trauma, let's say you have a car accident, or you fall on the ice, or something physically happens, uh, allopathic medicine, which I work with a lot. I worked in a hospital for 17 years. So allopathic medicine is a DOs and MDs and so on, which is nothing, I mean, they're all good. Uh, there's nothing wrong with it. I'm just telling you that primarily traditional medicine is symptom-focused. They're not origin-focused, all right? So the symptoms happen. So what they do is they look at the symptoms and they treat the symptoms some type of physical therapy, medication, pain management, whatever it is, right? But they typically, they never touch the emotion. So, if you d so that's why it never gets healed because the emotion locks in the physical. That's what this is. So, so you have that physical, you have the emotional trauma 
And whenever there's an emotional trauma, you always have a belief with that. So if I get hurt some way, especially the earlier it happens, the more severe and the more, um, the, the stronger the belief is because it's in an earlier time where they don't have enough logic to know better. We don't have a lot of logic. We have no logic, really. That's not the good way. We don't really have, we're, our logic is being formed, but it doesn't really start taking place till puberty, which is about 11 or 12. So under that, if you have a trauma 12 on under, especially eight on under, what happens is uh, that trauma will be very significant and I will live off of that belief the rest of my life really strongly, like not being good enough. Because um, this is all based on Proverbs 22.6, by the way. Okay, Pro Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way they should go and when they're older, they won't depart from it. So whatever happens in that time of your life becomes my predisposition to knowledge, to hear, f uh, believing, feeling, thinking, and, and about healing. All right? Proverbs 22.6. Okay, so, okay, so you got the you got the event, the emotional trauma, then the belief, and then the longer you keep that there, the, ch the higher the chances are that's the door that opens up that you'll have more demonic interference to make that worse. And then we put away the event so I don't think of the origin. I just feel this way the rest of my life. And I feel like I'm tormented, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you can be tormented, but that's not the origin. Once you become a Christian, except for I'm really, I always get into this dilemma about going this direction. But I'm just going to tell you this. It's in the book, page 53 in my green book. But one thing you need to realize, except for, Generational curses and spells, I'm going to put that over here. Those need demonic intervention. Like that needs deliverance, all right? But after that, if it's physical or emotional trauma, once you become a born-again Christian, Satan is always secondary. He is not primary. The emotion is primary. Satan takes advantage of the emotion. Get rid of the emotion don't bother with Satan, because every time you bring him up, you're giving him more power. He's already defeated. You understand that? He is already defeated. So use the power you have. Otherwise, you're undermining what Jesus did, and it's insulting what you have, what he did for you. All right? I, I'm really being straightforward about that. All right? Any questions about that one? No, there you go. Thank you. All right, so here's what happens. So your experiences early in life create what you think, feel, and believe the rest of your life. So if our authority figures are loving and caring and positive, I'm going to come away with more of an imprint that I'm that I God loves me. He says because the amount and type of you're going to I'll talk about this later, but the amount and type of love I receive determines my measurement of worth and value. Okay, but I'm gonna. That's gonna be on the board in a moment, I believe. I hope. <laughs> anyway, so so the amount and type of love that I receive from an authority figure determines my worth and value. It's because I don't know who I am. 
somebody's got to help me with determine that. So if I if I if I say God if I say good job, out of girl, keep it up. I'm proud of you. I'm uh, hugs and kisses for no reason. That's all affirming this. And so if she feels affirmed, then she's going to feel like there's something worthy about her. If you don't get it, then then it creates a predisposition that there's something wrong. I'm rejected. Uh, I'm not loved, and I don't deserve something, especially healing. All right. This is that's all in the book, in the in the green book, uh, breaking emotional barriers to healing. So, and then in adulthood, interesting. So in childhood, the external world determines my internal belief of my reality. So if it's really scary out there, then life must be scary. If they don't pay much attention to me, then there must be something wrong with me, especially under eight. I think is so. I'm now I go into adulthood. Now I'm an adult. Guess what? My internal belief of my internal belief of reality creates my external world. So I'm f I'm afraid inside because when when my when uh, authority figures are loud or people raise their voice or conflict, whatever it is, and I feel that way, then that's my belief and that's how I'm going to live life, especially about whether I deserve healing or not. So if this person doesn't give me attention and I don't know about healing, then when I get to this place. I'm going to struggle with somebody else telling me that. And the other thing is, by the way, we don't know who God is when we're born, by the way. You know, I don't know if you know that. We don't even know who God is. So guess who our first God is? Our earthly father. Our earthly father creates our image and our, our mother creates our comfort zone. So what happens? We take that knowledge into here. So if you're struggling, this um, this book talks a lot about that, about the uh, internal part of uh, the earth, the earthly father creating, connecting to the heavenly father, all right? So, all right, so I could go on. So, so the, c the conditions then really determine a lot of terms of our imprints, all right? So let me move on from there. So what happens with accumulated trauma, here's what happens. So, so let me tell you about trauma in general, about hurts and how things happen around us. So when something happens, it could be a car accident, it could be how somebody yelling at me, it could be whatever it is, that information, it's all about senses. You have the emotional, physical, all the senses, you know, what I see, hear, feel, sense. That's going to come into, my, into, my, into me. And my, my brain has to process that out correctly. So when we process out all the senses, our mind has to integrate that uh, to allow myself to think what to do with it, right? But what happens is, if I get a lot of trauma all of a sudden, like my mom and dad are yelling. <gasps> my, by the way, as a child, my mom and dad are my world. So if my world is upset, I am definitely threatened, okay? Or when I'm adult, if I have a car accident and, uh, and, I, and I, somebody hits me or I turn over and, and I've had some interesting, I was a, it was an EMT, actually, it's like coming home to Lansing. It's by the way, when I went to uh, Michigan State, I met my wife in Lansing, okay? Yeah, uh, we were married 38 years. And also, I worked for Lansing Mercy Ambulance. Yeah, back in the uh, um, late 70s for a couple of years as an EMT. I worked in a paramedic rig, and so the trauma that we'd see was quite intense because we'd be picking them up or extracting them out of whatever. So the point is, is that when you have that trauma, there's so much going on 
I can't process it. That's why we get overloaded and have we have shock, we go unconscious, we faint, um, we shut off, and that kind of thing. And as a child, we shut off, is, and we we disassociate ourselves from that. That's disassociation stuff. So what happens is then I don't deal with it well at all. So when we have excessive amount of, tr of, of information at one time, I literally stop at that point. I shut down. And then I, at that point in time, I don't do anything else with it. And if nobody helps me through it, I actually will, for the rest of my life, whenever anything happens, I'm going to re repeat the similar feelings that I had back then when it actually happened. That's why when uh, you're around somebody that, that yells and you become anxious, like your boss gets upset, you become anxious. Or people that yells are not like in conflict or anxiety is often is a result. Depression is a result. I mean, everything really is a result of this. And we'll talk more about the how to get rid of that. So understandably, that emotion uh, is all that senses is stored in my cells, in my body, and eventually it goes to my muscles, tendons, and ligaments, and it's stored there. And then that, over time, and I'll explain it. So the emotion that's overwhelming that we don't process out comes into the body and either goes to a condition that's already there, locks that condition in, and won't let it release unless you deal with the emotion. Or, number two, it'll create an imbalance. It will create the imbalance because it's overwhelmed, and then the dysfunction will happen in the body and we'll be more susceptible to illness and then we will become sick. Because stress is a big problem. Stress depletes B vitamins, uh, vitamin C, a lot of vitamins, and also makes us overwhelmed and it, it increases the amount of adrenaline, cortisol that are produced. And what happens is my body's on a hyperstate all the time and then I get sick out of that and I can't relax. So the earlier that that happens, the more I'm in this hyperstate the rest of my life. And then that's the type A personality. I get sick more. I can't seem to get healed. I can't seem to calm down. Constant. All right? So let me explain. Uh, there was a, um, there's a woman that I met with. She had anxiety throughout her life, occasional panic attacks, nervous all the time, fearful, hopeless, little joy, afraid of something happening. And she's had this for 45 years. Uh, she had headaches all the time. Anxiety was so severe in her as a child that at seventh grade, she had to drop out of school. She couldn't work, had severe ADD. She had a lot of PTSD. That's what she was diagnosed for. She went on SSI um, Medicaid too, just because she, that's, she couldn't work. She lived with the anxiety since six years old. Uh, and so she her mother... And she cared for her mother the best way she could. She felt responsible because of all the dysfunction in the home, constant fears of being alone, um, anxiety. And they got worse. Acrophobia, couldn't leave the home, afraid of crowds, afraid of the stores, afraid of just got worse and worse and worse. So God took her back to traumatic memories where six years old, she, her father was murdered. 17 years old, she saw her sister and niece taken out of home dead from a fire. Two years old, mother died. I just goes on and on and on and on. And on. So what it was every time we identified that and we released the the things that happened, I'm going to show you how to do this. Every time we release that, release it. It didn't take long. The anxiety amount of level at one to was it zero to ten? <coughs> or ten went down to 
And by the time we got down, it went down to zero. She had complete peace and acceptance, and she felt totally emotionally better. But you had to go after the layers, the layers, the things that different ha- that happened. God could take care of it all at one time, or he can take care of it through a layer. And we're going to talk about that. So it depends on what you're walking. If you're walking on eggshells, you can't sleep, fatigued, anxiety, or you're depressed, or you've got a physical issue, you know, why isn't that not being healed? We're going to talk more about that. So we need to recognize that um, what creates, so all this anxiety and all these things that go on, and even if we've, even if we've had a, um, an injury or a illness, and even if we're uh, born with something, you've got to recognize that that's going to create how we deal with life, and then it's going to create more stress in terms of dealing with life, and that's going to increase over time, then even the Center for Disease Control say that 85% of our physical ailments have a psychological root, which is really high. There was a woman that was 39 years old. She had autoimmune disease, which it seems like a big deal more and more nowadays. It's kind of to help explain things. It used to be fibromyalgia, but now they're calling it autoimmune, which it's an internal issue. So it's because things are taken inside. Most people with most people with issues such as um, uh, chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, uh, IBS, uh, Crohn's disease, uh, chronic fatigue syndrome, all that, uh, auto auto immune exhaustion. These are all people that typically don't express their feelings well, and they hold in everything. And when you hold in everything, then it starts destroying from the inside out. So this woman also had um, constant numbing in her. Over time, the more she held in their feelings, because she came from a very abusive home, or at least more was more neglectful home, and then some abuse around her. Uh, over time, she the more she held in her feelings, the more then the more body issues started happening. She started getting numbness in her face. She started getting aching in her toes, in her heels, um, IBS, which is um, irritable bowel syndrome. Thank you. Panic attacks helplessness feeling, weakness in her knees. She's only 39. Unsteadiness when she walked, dizziness in her head, ringing in the ears, inflammation in the sinuses, uh, increased anxiety, tension when she was around people that raised her voice. It goes on and on. She was was treated for sensitivity to gluten, vertigo, low vitamin D12, food allergies, depressions, and none of these really seem to be the answer. So, God took her back to, she lived, I said, what was your childhood like? She said, um, middle-class home, good providers, her parents were good providers, plenty of food, parents were presented, stable people. I said, well, tell me what they were really like if you were a child in that home. She said, well, then there was a pause. My parents argued a lot. You mean like yelled? Yeah. See, we normalize things because we want it to be good. And so, um, anyway, the parents yelled a lot, threatening about divorce all the time. So her world was constantly being threatened, and that to her would be high alert. She was constantly producing more adrenaline. Uh, adrenaline, by the way, is a, um, a neurotransmitter for my brain, makes my brain fast. And then cortisol is produced by the adrenal gland, and that's, that's a um, hormone um, steroid. And so, like, I'm always on steroids. And after a while, this after about 
after anywhere from six months to about two years, that steroid, if it's always produced, will start. It's the, the cortisol is used to help uh, fight to run away or to fight something. Uh, adrenaline is used to think what I should do to either fight or flight. But the cortisol, which is a steroid, if anybody knows about um, in sports, if you take it long enough, it starts destroying your body and it starts destroying your muscles, tendons, and ligaments. So it's the same thing with our own. And that's why people get really sick, even with MS and so on. All right, anyway, so what I did is I just went back to this person, all the abuse that happened. Every time I took away something, she got better and better and better, and then the, the symptoms just started falling off her right there, and then after a while, they were gone. Yeah, so James 5.16 says, Confess your sins, for, and you may be healed. So you think about it. So can, what is confessing my sins? Is, it's my releasing. So it's just James 5.16 is a good words of wisdom because I'm going to confess something by releasing what's in or inside of me. That's why we do it. So suppressed emotions discounts the body and the spirit, soul, and body. It blocks hearing and knowing the presence of God. We cannot believe and receive God's presence or what's good for us. It blocks physical healing and makes our body and our mind more susceptible to illness. So what's interesting is, so let me share this. Do we need to stop soon? Okay. S for a break. All right, we'll stop in a moment. So there is, um, what's really interesting, so now I know this is a lot about of emotion, like where does, it, where does the healing fit in? But this is the soul part that's never talked about. So if I've got all this soul stuff going on inside of me, then if that's not taken care of, it will get in the way of what needs to be taken, what it is, and I'll put it together. So think about it this way. Um, the We need to realize that everything in the world is made up of energy. Even the rocks cry out. There's something called, this is vibrational medicine. It's not new age. It's Everything has a vibrational frequency. Everything does, <coughs> especially our bodies. And you know if you see, you know, on, on TV shows, they have a flat line. Then the heart's, their heart stopped. That's the energy we're seeing on that monitor. And so we need to recognize that every, every um, emotion, every emotion has a vibrational frequency. Let me go to this one. Okay, so hold on a minute. So every emotion has a vibrational frequency. Every organ in the body has a vibrational frequency. It has to, otherwise it won't be alive. Everything has energy. When you have energy, it has an energy source. It vibrates. It's a frequency. So what happens is, when I have an emotional, when I have any kind of emotion, what happens is that if I don't deal with that emotion, remember, and I don't process it, it'll come into my body. It will go somewhere in my body. So the emotion will either go to the weakest link in my body, which is like, like a back. If you have a back injury and you're tense and you're stressed about something, that um, emotion will go to your back and make the back worse. Now, if you don't have a back problem, then that emotion will go to in your body where it has the same frequency, all right? So let me share this. This is a chart, and this is what's in the back of my book. <coughs> These are the most common affected areas in your body. So for example, the lungs. The lungs uh, have a vibrational frequency, 
It's the same frequency, vibrational frequency, as loss and grief. So if you have a person that um, uh, has a lot of loss and grief, that loss of grief, when they don't deal with it, it'll eventually settle in their lungs, and when they get sick, they won't be able to get over a lung issue. Or if they already have a lung issue and they have loss and grief, it'll make that worse and won't let it heal. Okay? So, for example, I, there was a gentleman that I had came in my office who had, um, for seven years, he had lung problems, and he was had short of breath, couldn't walk around, and he, he difficult to release uh, the, his emotion. Uh, anyway, so I said, what happened seven years ago? He said, the doctor told me to leave a foundry. He was working at a foundry in Detroit, and the foundry, uh, you know, would work with molten steel, and he said the soot from that, even with a mask, was making him worse. And he said, if you don't leave there, you're going to die. So what he decided to do was he left. But it doesn't make sense because it was seven years ago because God created our bodies to, to heal itself. It's supposed to heal itself. Seven years all right, plus why he's been getting prayer. So I said, what else happened seven years though? Because I know loss and grief is the connection to that. He said, um, by the way, you're going to get a copy of this. You're actually going to get a copy of that, all right, what's on, a, what's on the board or on the... Okay, so he said, at that time, within that year, because of the circumstances, my wife left me. And he said, then she took my kids out of state. It devastated me. That was, that's the... That's the word, devastation. Now think about it. This man lost his job. He lost his family. He lost his wife. He lost his kids. He lost his manhood. He lost his purpose to live. So we had to go through every one of those to release the emotion from any one of those, forgive his boss or the company, forgive his wife, forgive his kids, forgive himself. When we did all that, I just prayed a little simple prayer and his lungs just cleared right up. There's another gentleman that I worked with uh, for his lungs, and he's a pastor, uh, or he was a, um, yeah, he was a pastor, a, a very talented pastor, uh, and he had um, some mentoring people that were mentoring him, uh, an older couple, and things didn't work out well in his church. He went to this couple, and they recommended that he leave the church, and which he did, and um, for some reason, they just stopped in cold. They just stopped cold, stopped being his mentor. And he had this loss of his church and the loss of these mentoring people. It devastated him. And then he had problems with his marriage. And, he and so this is probably years later. I'm talking to him on the phone. And so we um, talked to him about the devastation that he had with the loss. And he not got, never gotten rid of that. And some other people in the church hurt him. And he couldn't, he had never gotten through that. So uh, to, to make the long story, he said for six, for I think it was like 15 years, he's had this lung problem. And, and during, he was a bivocational pastor. So he would do drywalling. So he would drywall while, it, while it was his job. And then he'd also pastor a church. Well, he said uh, he's always had lung issues and congestion issues, coughing issues. He never could figure out. He always just thought it was from dust in his lungs. And he took care of himself. He had prayers and so on, but ne would never get healed. We went back to that time of the loss that he had, and we released the loss, and he forgave the mentor, forgave these people that gave him a hard time, forgave himself for what he did. And, and I just prayed a quick prayer, and his lungs just totally healed up. He went, we were praying, and he goes, <gasps> 
Wow, he says, I haven't been able to breathe, take a breath like that in 15 years. Anyway, I could go on and on. So <clears throat> let me give you a couple. There's a gentleman that I saw came to see me for depression and feeling stuck in his life, not able to move forward in life. And that was his feeling. And he also had foot pain, and he, had, uh, w- and he walked occasionally with a cane, and his pain in his foot was a level of s- 0 to 10. It was a 7, an 8. And the pain was on and off since uh, 2002, so I saw him. Uh, so this is quite a long time ago, yeah. So this is probably like seven years. So under a lot of stress. So, and he had a bulge. He had, over the years, a bulge began to develop on the side of his foot as a mass. It was diagnosed as an extended tendon. So we, I prayed over the foot, but there was little change. So if you look at your information, <coughs> the feet, see, everything represents something. So when you pray with somebody, and I'm going to talk about this in the second half today, when you pray over something, everything represents something. Everything has a purpose and has a function. So my feet, especially my knees and my feet, you're from the pelvic down, but primarily knees and feet, what do they use for? What am I doing? I'm walking. I'm going forward. And, and if you ever hear people say, stuck, can't move forward, uh, I'm helpless, and st- words like that, that tells you automatically it's from the past and autumn because really you, you, you everybody you're just too smart to, to why would you think that way you've got this God that you own all the cattle on all the hills and you can do whatever you want in the name of Jesus by just calling it down and he's feeling like he can't move forward well I knew that there was something wrong and I knew this was childhood and we'll be talking about this too so he had this chronic foot problem so I did as I told him said where did you first start a feeling in Jesus' name, sent him back where he first felt like he couldn't move forward. Well, God took him back to seeing himself in growing up in a home with a father that was very, um, he was neglectful emotionally, positively uh, good neglectful, but he was very um, militant and he was very strict and it was always about what you need to do differently or do better, if that at all. And it was always a lot of stress over that. And he felt very limited, same kind of stuff. I said, what was it like? Limited, I couldn't do anything right. I couldn't seem to get what I want, move forward. So what I did is we released the emotion he had from feeling that way as a child, forgave his dad and his mom for not protecting him. I, what I did is I, then I prayed for the foot. The pain totally went away. The bulge disappeared. And then at that time, uh, the pain in his legs and all just went away and it was totally healed. Uh, another woman that I prayed for, uh, this woman had a, you know, why don't I just I keep on forgetting to do this? Okay, so um, Holly and uh, and Laura, would you, uh, where are you? Would you give me your give me your testimony? I I, I forget I need to do that. Yeah. <laughs> You know you're giving, now, giving me the mic right yeah, now. Yeah, okay. Can I get up here? So no? when I tap you on your shoulders, that means you're supposed to stop. Is that right? No. Here, just... you want to do the other one? No, that's all right. Stop. 
stop. Okay, so just give a little, Thank you. give a, a brief synopsis of what happened, how, oh what, how, what God Was did. that when I was here? or Whichever one you want to give. Okay, because I had a follow-up appointment with Craig. <laughs> so I came up, it had been a long weekend, and, and I knew I needed some prayer. You know, usually I'm serving, so this is really hard for me to receive. So I just want to encourage you all, if this is you, please receive. We, it's been a long year for all of us. I'm talking about wherever, whatever your sphere is, where you serve in, our whole country, our whole world. I say all that to say that, so I came up to Craig, I said, I just need prayer because I don't know what's going on. I had struggled with some things, and I just wasn't sure. And immediately he went right to um, the situation, which, my gosh, and it was related to my parents. And I think some things happened to me when I was in my mother's womb. And I really realized this later on, the fear, um, just uh, yelling. Any time somebody would yell or, or th you would just hear noise, very loud noises, I would just get afraid and withdraw. So, and, and Craig didn't know any of this. So immediately when, when he was um, praying over me. Well, let me, let me, yeah. so, so let me interject. So Yeah, go ahead. So are you I a smart person? I am. Well, wash my head. Are you a smart person? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so because you're a smart person, and because really um, I see you as a mature woman, you're, you're, you're strong in your faith, uh, you believe in God, you have all the power in the universe, all right? So when she said about those words, what were the words you said about n not being able to do things? And oh, about not fe feeling responsible? I can't remember. So been the, about how you felt about not being able to do things in your life and how it felt stuck and so on. Yeah. So... Okay, think in your mind. So this is one thing you're going to learn is that listen to what they say. So given this person here, they're feeling stuck. Like what? Why would she feel stuck given what she has? Yeah. Well, so that's an automatic sign. It's the past. It's childhood. Yeah. Yeah. Automatic. Mm -hmm. And so what we did is we just went back there, and I asked you, when did you first feel like stuck? And I used the same words you used. It was at seven, five. I mean, it was before and eight. And we went back to that. We put Jesus there yeah. and to make you safe, to make that seven-year-old safe, because you, you weren't safe. That's yeah. why you didn't process it out. Yeah. So we're going to help you, pro you process it out really quickly right here with being safe with Jesus, and then what happened right after that? It was, I just had peace. It was like I totally went back right. to, I, I had immediate peace. I was safe. I felt secure, and I felt significant. I wasn't the fearful child hiding in the corner thinking somebody was going to come out and take me away or and that's why she was stuck as an adult because you never yeah. got over that yeah yeah all right thank you very much you want to come up and give yours hi i'm holly um, last year, I went to see Craig uh, with Stephanie, and um, to go back, my symptoms, my physical symptoms started in 2012. Uh, I started with gut symptoms, lung symptoms, throat symptoms. We couldn't figure out what was wrong. It was no doctor can pinpoint anything that was going on. My biggest complaint was my voice, my throat. Nobody could understand why it was in so much pain. I was hospitalized about four times from it. Nobody could understand what was wrong. Um, when uh, I knew from my own training 
that I did have some rejection issues in my life. So I went through my own personal training of, you know, what I knew to do to go back as far as I could. But still, I had these symptoms, so I couldn't figure out what was going on. When I went to see Craig, he took me back in his amazing process of what we're going to learn to do. And he took me back to some memories of my father. father uh, some memories that I had either forgotten or have just dismissed. Um, but they were very key memories as to why I felt like my voice was stolen and shut down when I was young, always being pushed away. And so the, but I also knew that the rejection was right from the womb of my mother. And so um, as we went through the process, I got amazing relief from some of the memories. And they weren't memories that took me down and made me feel really, ugh. it just was just, wow, amazing relief. Even though they were painful memories, it was very, very much of relief. But I can honestly say that I didn't get instant healing right then. I still walked it out. As far as today, in about three months now, I have been completely healed off all of my nebulizer, not in the hospital anymore, not seeing the doctors. Thank God. So, and yes, it is an amazing, amazing process, and God is very faithful to walk you through, and so gentle. This is so gentle process. That's what's so nice about it. Good. Praise God. Thank you, Molly. All right. So how can prayers from the Spirit <clears throat> give life to the body if the soul is filled with unhealthy things that bring negativity and death? It can't. So Romans 8.13 says, if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. And Romans 8.11 says, if the Spirit dwells in you, he will give you life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit that dwells in you. So <clears throat> in our mortal bodies, that's the whole issue. Why isn't our body healed and our mind? And he'll give that to us because he dwells there. But we have to allow then, as you saw, the flow happen from the Spirit through the soul. We've got to get rid of what's in the soul. Because remember, when we typically pray, when we typically pray and most things out there don't add, all we want to do is just add one more element is the emotional part of it, right? So, so when we suppress emotion, when we have emotion, when something's happened to us, we have two choices. We either can hold on to the unhealthy emotions, which makes you worse, or you can let them go. Now, by the way, this is what Jesus did. Now, I've never had this question, but so people say, well, where is the example of this in the Bible to let this go? Well, first of all, it's obviously in James where it talks about confess your sins. But let me tell you where it also is. Matthew 26, 36, right? So, so right, you know, if you're writing down, Matthew 26, 36. So the, uh, the, the, the disciples just had their uh, upper room dinner, okay, with Jesus. And um, on the way to Gethsemane, he took his disciples, and then he put the, um, most of the disciples were kept at one place, and then he, his uh, James, John, and uh, was it Peter? Went with him to further on. And he said to them, um, my soul is grieving unto death. So he could trust them enough that he was telling them his innermost feelings. 
at that point, and he felt terrible, obviously, because he knew what was going to happen. So what he did was, as he moved forward towards uh, then, he had them stay there, and then he went on a little bit, about a st- not too far away, and they laid prostrate, Lord. So he said, Lord, I don't want to do this. In essence, he was saying, Craig Miller's version, I don't really want to do this, but I know I need to take it from thee. So after praying some, and then he went back to the disciples, but they were sleeping, and he said, can't you just support me? So he's looking for support, just like anybody else would. And he went back a second time, and he said, Lord, I don't really want to deal with this, but if you need to, so he was struggling with letting that go or happen. And And it was more about knowing that during this time, not... It wasn't about taking on the sins of the world. It was a being abandoned and uh, uh, abandoned from God for three days. And, and, and it wasn't about even the, I mean, of course, um, the, uh, being nailed on the cross. Crucifixion is one of the worst torturous uh, things that the Romans ever did in man's history, if you ever learned about it. So in Luke, though, Luke 22 Luke talks about the second time he went back after he talked to the disciples. The second time he went back, Luke talks about he had an experience called hemophidrosis. So what happened is Luke says that he sweat blood. So um, sweating blood is a medical phenomenon called hemophidrosis. It's where the blood capillaries are so close to the sweat glands that under extreme stress and agony, What's going to happen? It's so severe, it bursts the blood capillaries, so the blood goes into the sweat glands, and you're sweating with blood in it. It's not like it, like you had a head injury. It's more about you can just see the droplets, and that's what, that's what he saw as a physician. Now, at that time, then, um, he, and that's when, so Jesus came back, when a second time, so he had saw, saw them and asked for support twice. By the time it went back that second time, hemothrodrosis happened, and the angels from heaven came and ministered to him, and then he was able to release that, and at that time, he got up and be able to go to his disciples, and now it's time. Now, Matthew talks about it three times coming in its time. Luke says twice, but the point is that it happened, and when he released the emotion, through sweating by sweating, and especially when the angels came to minister to him, he was able to release enough that he could say, now it's time, I can let go. He could move on after he leave, released the emotion in his soul that was going to kill him. I don't, I've never heard that in the pulpit. But you need to realize that Jesus was just as human as we are. But the humanness doesn't get talked about in the pulpit. It's mostly about the deity. So well, so here's what I want to share with you, and then we'll come up, we'll have a break. And uh, God just gave me this recently. So, so this is so interesting. It's about your identity. If you're wonderfully made, and you're made in his image, and you're a new creation, right? That means you're totally new because you accept Jesus in your heart. So if you have anything, anxiety, depression, conditions, pain, those are not of God, correct? 
So first of all, we have everything God has. We've been created that way. We've been wonderfully made originally. Then, then soul stuff happens. And then we all of a sudden, we have these things that happen in our life. So if there's something that we have that's not of God, that means that it was given to you. Does that make sense? So that means it doesn't belong to you. That means it's not even a part of you. So if it was given to you by a person or circumstance, even if you were born with it, it was still given to you. That means it doesn't belong to you. It's not a part of you. It's not your identity. And you have a choice whether to give it back or not. Right? So why do we, why do we, why don't we, why do we hold on to these things? Because number one, the earlier we have something happen to us, that something, somebody of authority or something when we don't understand, we create an identity around what we think, feel, and believe because the longer we live with it, we have to learn to live with something. We personalize it and adapt it because we don't know what to do with it. So we create a life with it that's not even ours. It's because we have to to survive. So when um, I had a, so even when we're depressed, we will think that's the way life is, or anxious, or even a condition of some sort. We live with it long enough, then I don't know how to get out of it, so I'll adapt my life around it. I had a boy who was, a, who was 11 years old when his father died. He was a farmer. His, his dad farmed for a living, and he wasn't home much. And the boy didn't have much of a relationship. The dad didn't know how to have a relationship. So the father was diagnosed with cancer in May, and, uh, and then he uh, died in uh, October. And so at the deathbed in the hospital, the boy saw his father die, and the boy became very depressed because his dad died and never could have a relationship with his dad now because it just didn't happen. Okay, I'm seeing the boy now at 24. I mean, this happened at 11, and now he's my client at 24. So I'm working with him to help him release this depression that he has because of this loss, and he's not able to release it. <coughs> and I finally said to him, one of my sessions, I said, you don't want to let this go, do you? And then he started crying. He says, if I let this depression go, it's my friend that I'll let my father go because that's what he associated to his father. That's the connection. And that's what we do to survive. That's just one example. So the next thing is Jesus is a gentleman. And because of that, he's not going to take away something we choose to keep. So we keep things for a reason. Some people keep anger because it protects me. Or I have anxiety because at least I know uh, if something happens, I'll already be anxious. <laughs> if I let go of, if I let go of the anxiety, if something happens, I'll be anxious again. I might as well stay anxious. If I've had it for most of my life, that's how we think. So, um, and what, so also it's given to us by an authority figure, a parent, teacher, pastor, and it becomes our truth. In sixth grade, I, I remember exactly where I was. I was in Connecticut, actually. We moved around a lot. So uh, I remember where I was in the classroom, the big windows, the teacher. Her name was Mrs. Epstein. Remember all the kids? We were having a rough day that day. She was having a rough day. I was having, f I was having fun. So, <coughs> and because of that, the, uh, the teacher said to us, 
the class. You kids will never amount to anything when you grow up. And guess what? I believed her for years. It took me a long time to get rid of that because it was given to me when I was 10. And she's an authority figure. She must be right. And my father wasn't as helpful because I never told him that. But my father's other separate ways that he came across to me maybe added to that to maybe must be true. These authority figures are telling me this. So also you adapt to your life, the condition, as a way of life because you have to. It's a major reason we don't know what to do and healing doesn't happen. So you need to realize that one thing you've got to recognize, it's not who you are. So if it was, if it's, okay, so let me, this is what I typically do if you've seen me before. So I'm going to ask you a question, a yes-no question. I need a yes-no answer, right? Now, are you a smart person? Hmm, I got to go over here. Okay, well, because I have to give them appointments. Okay, so I'll ask you, all right, are you a smart person? Okay, that's better. Okay, I can't better. Okay, now I gotta ask you, are you a smart person? Yeah. Oh well, you guys win. All right. <laughs> so, so think about it. If you're a smart person, you're a born again Christian, you're a new creation, does it make sense that you should be coming to church with anxiety or depression or a condition? All right. So I give you permission to not like what you have, but I give you permission then to be able to get rid of it. It's not yours to keep. But we don't know that, and mostly because we don't know how to get rid of it. So after the break, we're going to learn how to get rid of it, all right? Sure. What if you're going to the wrong church? Okay, well, you need to come to this church. (laughs) All right. (laughs) So... That's number one. Number two, uh, look, life is a journey, and you need to recognize something. That's how we learn. So um, I, over the years, my wife and I have been married for 38 years, and uh, 39, actually, in May the 22nd at 1.30. It, ra- it was raining. <laughs> so um, <laughs> she's not even here. Okay, so anyway, so uh, my point is that we've been to five different churches over the years because we realized we, we outgrew the pastor. Um, so you have to decide, are you, why are you there? And it's because life is short, plus it's a journey of growing and how God wants to use you. And so I'm not a person, I, I'm not telling you to leave church. I'm not telling you to leave a church. I'm just saying you've got to get your soul fed. And if you're going, why are you going to church in the first place? And what does God want you to do? And are you getting that taken care of to know what God wants you to do where you are? If you're not, then say, bye-bye. I need to find some place where God is actually is showing up. The churches that are growing is where God shows up. Not where it's as, as usual. I know this whole issue, this thing going on over the last year, this will, um, uh, this is going to, um, wh- what is it, when you, um, you can, it's going to clean house. So, all right, so hel- I don't know if that helps. All right. Thank you for listening today. 
Take a moment and ask Holy Spirit what He wants you to do with what you've learned. And remember, with God, all things are possible. So keep dreaming, keep praying, and simply obey. Because God is good, and He has good plans for you. You can subscribe to our blogs, learn about our speakers, and even hear from one of our team members how you can take part in transforming a city, your city with Christ. There's no time like the present. Visit ShekinahOnline.com. If this doesn't excite you, watch for our new and God-inspired product line, a newly released book by Stephanie Butler, more testimonies from our listeners like you, working to bring unity in cities across the world. If you feel led to support our podcast, you may do so on our Shekinah.com website. Or if you would like to support us monthly, there is a link labeled Listener Support on every podcast. Until next time, we thank you, we love you, have a blessed day.